our Hebrew study today. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll flip to the end of the last chapter. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this morning, and I ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for being present with us, and I thank you for your word that we can look to, Father, that we do not have to just try to figure out this maze that some would consider life, Father, that we don't have to um, put our heads together corporately um, and come up with a strategy, but you have given us wisdom and direction uh, that we can look at and clearly see how to pursue you. So I ask that you would help us with that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 17. Hebrews 13. All right, now we've been giving a quick 30-second summary of the book of Hebrews uh, before every lesson. All right, so who wants to give the summary of the book of Hebrews? I know not everybody's here every week, so it's good to refresh. Better everything. Better everything. <laughs> yes, that's quicker than 30 seconds. The, the key word uh, to summarize the entire book would be the word better. And the author of Hebrews is writing to who? The Hebrews. Believers, all right, people who have accepted Christ as their Savior. They are converted. Uh, and they had been pursuing Jesus Christ very strongly, all right, not just nominally, but the book of Hebrews even references times when they took persecution joyfully. Um, and they were helping other people out. In, in tough times, so they weren't just nominally believers, but they were really going for it. And the author is writing to them because their Christian run had begun to slow to a walk. And the author makes the argument that when you slow from a run to a walk, it always, it always progresses. You're never really standing still. And if you slow to a walk, then you slow to a stop, right? But it doesn't stop there. And if you slow to a stop, then you can turn your back faith, um, which is a very dangerous thing. And the author here, throughout the book of Hebrews, is offering several warnings. So he's presenting the argument in the sense of there's a better covenant here. There's better blood because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. There is a better way. Remember those things. Remember what you put your faith in and be encouraged by that. Be reminded of that, but also be warned of the dangers of, of slowing down. So that's the quick summary of the book of Hebrews. Now, um, just by way of example, how many of you remember when you were younger and you had to call the uh, movie theater phone number? Yes. Raise your hand if you call the movie theater phone number to get the movie times. All right. How many of you have ever had to do that? Okay. So back in the day. When I was in high school, you know, I guess, I mean, we had the internet when I was in high school, but it was pretty archaic. Um, but I'd sit there on the phone, you had to wait for the whole list, right? And they would go through this movie and like the 18 movie times. And then inevitably, at some point, you would get distracted and you would miss the movie and you'd call it back. And it's always like some 16-year-old, you know, he's like, this movie is throwing at uh, 7.15, 7.20, and you're like, ah, you know, because I have to make a new recording. But thankfully, today, uh, we live in, a, in an age where we can gather so much information so quickly. It's at our fingertips. Um, if you want to know something, you Google search it. If you want to know something, you reach in your pocket, pull out your phone, and you can get any information 
essentially that you want. Um, I've never, it's been years since I've opened up the Yellow Pages. They still have those, have you seen them? Um, I remember, like, and you're looking for a mechanic, you know, so you open it up, like, you, there's a car mechanic, and you just look down this number, like, hmm, pick this guy. Um, remember the, the bank of uh, the car catalog at the library? Remember those things? You pull it out and flip through and try to find the one book that you're looking for, and somebody has a thing out of order. Well, thankfully, uh, everything... Um, when it comes to information, it is seemingly at our fingertips. But um, there are some things that we want to know that are just not readily available. Okay? There are some things that we, we want to, to figure out, but it's not as readily available as a Google search. And, and here's an example. Um, we've all been in a situation where you've had a friend um, who you might not know the situation, but you know they're hurting. Right, um, and you want to help, and you can't Google search that. You know, you, you can't um, go and, and, and look it up. Like, what do you do when you have a friend that that's that's hurting? It requires something else, right? What does it require? Very simplistically, Contacts. contacting them, talking to them, listening to what they have to say. Um, if you're in a community group and somebody goes MIA for a while. Um, you haven't seen them, and it seems like they've lost interest, um, and you want them to be plugged in, and you want them to be growing from that, what, you know, you don't Google search, how do I help a friend who seemingly has lost interest in our community group? You know, you, you, gotta, you gotta make contact and, and, and go to them and listen, you know, and I'm married, you know, and so if, if I'm gonna help meet the needs of my wife as she just walks through life and what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a wife and, and all the things that she has on her plate, I can't just look from a distance and say, um, Google search, you know, how to do this. There has to be this engagement. There has to be some very active listening on my part. All right, that's the common denominator. There has to be some very active listening on my part, but it can't stop with listening. You can't just say, tell me what you're struggling with, my friend who's hurting, and then just walk away with that knowledge, you know? You can't just walk up to a community group member who's maybe dropped off the map for a little while and say, tell me what's going on in your life, and take just take that information and then just continue existing. You know, I can't talk to my wife to figure out how I can be the husband that I should be and take that information. You have to act on it. Right? You have to heed the information that's there. So you listen to it and take it seriously, and then you act on it. And what we have here in the book of Hebrews at the very end is the author um, is presenting his final statements. I mean, the, the book, the letter that he has written uh, ends here. And it ends with this idea of heed what I have said. He doesn't restate his argument. There's not a, a grand therefore because of all of these things I've, saying, I've said. He doesn't say therefore, here are these points of application. That kind of happened throughout the course of the letter. But the, the final tone of this letter is really a heed what I have said. Take this seriously. He's calling on those that he is writing to to listen intently to the words that he has already spoken. Take it to heart and do something with that information. So with that in mind, let's read 
Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 17, verses 17 through the end. I'm going to read this in the ESV. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see, I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So what we have here at the very end of this book is this author saying, I've said what what I was going to say, and the final charge that I have to you is truly heed what I've said. Listen to the things that I'm saying. So the question that I want to pose to us this morning as we finish this book is kind of a, 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 a simplistically complex question. How do we heed? How do we heed? How do we heed the counsel that has been given? All right? I think as believers, for those of us that are believers in this room, and we have a tendency sometimes to look at life very simplistically when it has to do with uh, sin or uh, the Christian disciplines, it seems like sometimes we can look at uh, pursuing Christ in the simplistic way of saying, um, I know how to help you with your sin problem. All right, you ready for it? Don't do it. Right? Like, you know, how do you, how do you help um, if you have a language, you know, if you drop some language when you get angry, you know, how, how do you motivate yourself to clean it up, you know? You try to charge yourself, or somebody might encourage you, you know what, you shouldn't do that. Wow, okay. I think I'll stop, I'll stop using the Lord's name in vain now. Or, maybe you start motivating yourself, like, maybe I just, I just need to want it more, you know? Or, what about um, issues of lust? You know, what you, you know what you need to do? You need to stop thinking those thoughts, you know, that, that'll solve your sin issues. You need to stop that. Or what about, um, <clears throat> what if you have issues with um, self-confidence or self-perception and you're really negative on yourself and kind of tearing yourself down? You know, you know what you need to do? You should stop that. And I think that sometimes we read some scripture and you're like, that's really good. Yeah, I shouldn't lust. I, I should have my identity fully in Christ. So I think I'll just start doing that. And that's... That's just kind of hogwash. <laughs> That's not the way we work as humans. And the author knows that. He understands that. Um, and it, the author here understands that we all have a problem heeding. It's the root problem that we call sin. It, we, we see it throughout the scriptures. 
that we don't do the things that we ought to do, even when we know what those things are. We know the right way, and there's something that happens, if you're a believer, it's the Holy Spirit working your life, that causes guilt, that lets you know, I shouldn't have done that. This isn't good for me. Why do I keep doing those things? I wish I didn't keep doing those things. Why do I keep struggling with this way? Last time I told myself I wasn't going to do that anymore, but yet I did, you know? It's a heeding problem. I'm not heeding the word of God. And I know what I should do, but sometimes I just don't do it. And it's a root problem in all of us. And the author knows it. I'd like for us all to flip to Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Romans 7, 15. This is a fairly well-known text from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the books of the New Testament was clearly a godly man. He was an apostle. He was appointed by Christ. The entire history of the New Testament church up to this point has benefited from the work of God through the apostle Paul. Yet this guy, this godly man, says these things. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Romans seven fifteen. This is Paul. He says, I do not understand my own actions. This is a, heed, a heeding problem. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is keeping is what I keep on doing, verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. We all have a sin problem. We, we all have a sin problem. We have a problem heeding the word of God. And so again, the question is, how do we, how do we heed the word of God? It's, it would be too simplistic and foolish for us to read the book of Hebrews and see the encouragement of the book of Hebrews and the reminders of the group of the book of Hebrews of how great the gospel is and how much better the gospel is and how much better the hope is that the, that the gospel offers if we ended the book by simply saying, now just you know, take that information and awesome. <laughs> Let's pray. Heed these words. You don't have to flip there, but the, uh, James chapter 4 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and he fails to do it, to him it is sin. We have a problem healing. James chapter 1 calls a believer. James has written two believers. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, meaning act on these things, and not just hearers only, otherwise you will deceive yourself. If anybody is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessing, will be blessed in his doing. Meaning the man who heeds will be blessed in what he is doing. So the question is, how do we do heed? What we see in these verses is the author is giving us some good examples. He's giving us some good examples of how we heed the word of God. So, back to the text, if we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Let's read that. Hebrews 13, verse 17, the first word 
the first uh, verse there, says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This verse right here is one of the key verses that we, we look at when we develop the concept of church membership. Church membership. And there are some people who have varying ideas of what church membership is all about. And one of the concepts in church membership is this. There are a lot of Christians out there in, in Mount Pleasant in the, in the Charleston area. There are a lot of pastors around here in, in Mount Pleasant and in the Charleston area. And one of the ideas of church membership asks the question, um, of all the Christians in the Charleston area, to whom do certain pastors have to give an account? It says here, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Pretty strong language here. And I don't think that this is uh, a flippant um, exaggeration just to make a point. I believe that when you look at this text, what it means is that those that are called to leadership within the church at the judgment seat of God will be held accountable for shepherding certain definable souls. And that's a big deal. So how do you know which souls fall into that category? And for those that are a part of the church, how do you know which leaders to listen to? We live in a, in a day and age um, that uh, we, don't, we don't like, I believe, other people to, to force their definitions upon us a lot of times. And I'm talking in the church and out of the church. And we live in an age, and the, and the American way is pretty individualistic, you know? You can go, you can go rags to riches. Your, par your parents can be here, and you can make it on your own. You know, pull up your bootstraps, get your education, find that good job, and, and you can make it. And it's a, a pretty glorious thing about America. Um, but when you look at the concept of the church, and when you look at the concept of church membership, we see that when Christ established the church, he established it for believers who come to know Jesus Christ to have a moment where they define themselves as a believer and they plug themselves into something that we call the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see this example of how the body of Christ works. And it says that some people are the eyes, and some people are the hands, and some people are the legs. And, and we all have a role within the body. And though this is a, a metaphor, it is a metaphor that has a very real spiritual reality. Right? That we don't have just a, a, a spattering of people who have varying levels of connection and commitment to the body of Christ. But there is a call to be very specifically committed to a local body. And one of the dangers of not being committed to a local body is the tendency of saying, I want to listen to this guy at, at this church, um, but I don't like this piece of what he's having to say, so I think I'll listen to this guy at this church. You know, And, and I think the example is if you have a kid who, who picks um, several different families, you know? I like the way this family handles uh, their meal time, but I don't like what time they all have to go to bed. So I like this, this family's, you know, bedtime, you know, but I don't like this family's 
stance on allowance. This family has a lot more allowance over here, and so I want, I want this piece over here. And a lot of people look at church membership as, listen, I'm a Christian, and I'm, I'm, I'm plugged in. I go, you know, and that should be enough, you know, as long as I'm serving, you know, as long as, long as I'm, I'm pulling my weight, you know, as long as I'm doing the right thing, um, as long as I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing my community group, why do I have to, you know, be an official, official member? Well, I think that's a very similar argument to <clears throat> the argument that I've heard last week, and I've heard it before, but the argument of some people who say, uh, why do I need a ceremony called marriage uh, for me to love you, you know? We can just, I mean, if we, we can live together, and I'm going I'm to tell you, I'm, I, I love you. You know, I don't need a piece of paper for that, and I'm, I'm committed, you know? I don't, I, don't need some, I don't need something formal to say I'm, I'm committed. Um, you know, you, you should just trust me, you know? And, and, and I'm, we're just going to know that we love each other and that I got your back. Uh, but when you, look at, when you look at Scripture, you see in Scripture that there's a, there's a high calling to, to the commitment of, of marriage. You know, the marriage says that, this, that we're committed to, to each other come hell or high water, you know, through good times and bad, through, rich, through riches and through... Uh, um, through, through being poor and through sickness and health and all of these things, we're committed to each other. And not only that, but we're committed to each other before God. You know, this isn't just a hey, yeah, we, we you know, we like each other and we're we're commi-. before God and many witnesses that they could hold us to it. And we see that in Scripture that marriage is a a heck of a lot more than just hey, we love each other and we're committed to each other. But God has established this thing of of a high calling called marriage, and that he actually works through marriages um, to build the very fabric of society. That when there's functioning families, that, that, that boys and girls are being raised in, in a proper environment to where they can succeed, best succeed. I mean, that is a secular study proves it over and over and over again, you know? And that the fabric of society is better when the family is functioning well. And we see that the that the church functions better when the family is functioning well. And that children are better taken care of when the family functions well. And the elderly are better taken care of when the church functions well. And that everything beyond just, hey, I really, lo- I really love you and I'm committed to you, that there is a much bigger picture that we call society that benefits from the commitment of marriage. Now, church membership is not an eternal, lifelong commitment. You know, you might move. You know, if you guys find another job and it's a better opportunity for you and you go to Charlotte, God is not calling you to keep your, your firm, staunch loyalty to East Cooper Baptist Church because you're supposed to be a part of a body. You, can ch- you change your membership. But what you're doing is you're saying, I'm committing to, to be here. And not only that, but you're saying, I, I, the example of East Cooper, I believe that these leaders at East Cooper um, are ordained by God. Our leadership is ordained, and that's what we mean when we say ordained, um, that they're ordained by God, um, that there's a plurality of leadership. That it's not just Buster saying, I'm leading the charge, but there are elders 
and godly men around and we're praying about the things that we're doing and the things that we're about. And that as a member, you're falling under the authority of the local church and you're, and you're listening. And when you are under the authority of the local church, the, the local church then has opportunity to speak into your life because we're accountable for your soul and help you and encourage you and even discipline you if needed. Now, we don't like talking about that, but, but we know, we know the truth of the matter is, is that other families, right, aren't responsible for disciplining other kids, right? And we all know that discipline is what a child needs, you know? If you don't have discipline, you're not going to be a good baseball player. If you don't have discipline in your life, you're not going to be a good student. If you, if, you're not, if you don't have discipline in your life, you're not, you're not going to have a good work ethic, ethic. If you don't have discipline in your life, you're not going to be a good friend. You're not going to be a good future husband or wife. You're just not. That you need discipline, the good and the bad sides of it. It needs to happen in a family, and it needs to happen in a church, too, for growth's sake. Because it's accountability. And if there's somebody in here who is claiming to be part of the body of Christ, and they're living in gross sin... Scripture tells us that that is leaven that infects all the, the, the leaven in the yeast of the whole bread, that, that it can spread, and it does. You've seen that with your friend groups over the years, right? There's somebody who kind of gets messed up or hanging out with the wrong crowd, and you see them start influencing people. And it's not one of those things where you say, we're going we're to excommunicate you, but what you do is you speak to them in love. You say, this is not what we're about. This is not what the Scriptures say. There is a better way to this. And whose responsibility is that? It's the church's. But if you're not a member here, I'm the young adult pastor. And I do not believe that God is holding me accountable to all of the young adults in Mount Pleasant. You know? Um, and I don't believe that God is holding me personally accountable to any new young adult that happens to visit East Cooper. I want to engage them, and I hope that we as a church welcome them in. Um, but if you take this verse seriously, that says, obey your leaders and submit to them, this is not a, a verse that is trying to puff up and, and, and build up the egos of those in leadership. This is God saying, I have established my church I have established my church as a venue of growth. This is where it happens. You know? If you want to learn, where do you go? School, right? That's, it, 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 it just makes sense. God said, I'm not going to leave it up to you to decide. You know what? I think I'm just going to have a little Bible study over here, and a little community group over here, and get together with a couple coworkers and pray every so often, and then that's going to equal a healthy walk with Christ. He says, the local church. And part of that is authority. And so I, as God, am going to speak through those that I've set up in, as authority figures. We see that in Romans chapter 13, that God has established authority, and they will be held to a higher level of accountability. And I'm going to speak through them to speak into your life. So therefore, listen to your leaders and submit to them. And when Buster preaches, and it's not just a guy who knows the word, it's not just a guy who went to seminary, 
is not just a guy who you think he's got it together and he's well-read. He's your leader. And we're called to submit to him. And trusting that this is a place that takes that seriously. And I've heard Buster say, I believe that, that I will be held accountable for the souls of the people who are part of the local body of East Cooper Baptist Church one day. That he takes that seriously. And how do, we, how do we know who we're accountable to? It's those who have submitted to the authority of East Cooper. And we do that through membership. Um, if that's something you want to talk about further, if you have other questions, I want to be available to answer them. Okay? So membership is a big deal. It's not just a, a clicker. We're like, hey, look how many members we have. No, this is who we'll be held accountable for. And for those of you that want to be held accountable and be part of the local church and submit yourself to the authority of the local church, which is a healthy biblical thing I believe we see in Scripture, I want to encourage you to become members. Ask good questions. Make sure you believe the things that we believe. Make sure that it falls in line with Scripture yourself. And if it doesn't, that's God's, God's hand of blessing is not just on East Cooper. You know, There are other churches that you can get plugged into. And that's part of the glory and the freedom of being a Christ follower is that I, I trust other believers. Yeah? So, God has said, I work through my church. I work through leadership that I establish. I work through the corporate teaching of the word, and I work through worship, and I work through service, and those are things that happen in the local church. So, therefore, verse 17, how do you heed? Listen to your leaders. Obey and submit to them. Not flippantly, but they are going to give an account for your very soul. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Why? For that would be of no advantage to you. The apostle that wrote the book of Hebrews is saying, listen, when, when you do those things, it benefits you. This is not just a, a, a whip that's like, obey. But it's saying, if you obey, it will be better for you. There is an advantage for you. There is growth to be found there. There is a greater level of joy there when you do that. There's a greater level of assurance and hope and peace there when you do what I'm calling you to do. God works most through our obedience. God works most through our obedience. And if we're longing to see God work in our lives, one of the things we have to do is look at our lives and say, am I being obedient? Verse 18. It says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Verse 18 starts off with simply saying, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things. Now the author of Hebrews has said some things that we would consider... uh, pretty harsh but rightfully so throughout the book of Hebrews there's some stern warnings some very strong language he even at one point in chapter 6 I believe it is says you're immature you ought to be teaching this stuff now but you're still being spoon fed you're still drinking milk when you should be eating meat you're still hanging out with just the elementary doctrines of the truth and you should be going for it He says, be careful that you don't become apostate. 
All right, which means you've denied the gospel and said this doesn't apply. He says, be careful of that. Some of you are going down that road. And one day the Lord is going to shake things and he's going he's to whip that tablecloth and everything that isn't attached to it is going to fly away and be judged. I mean, there's some strong, harsh, serious language. And if you're, say, if you're speaking that way to somebody and it's in an appropriate way, and they need to hear it, and you're saying it in love, it only seems natural to make a statement that says, pray for us, not that we would, not so that we'll be sure, but he says, for we are sure, we are confident, and we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things, and in calling you on the carpet, and saying, listen, you've slowed, you need to pick it up, I say that in love, you need to pick it up because it's going to be better for you. You need to pick it up so that you're not in danger. You need to pick it up because there is a better, glorious, more full, more rich, more fulfilling way to live this life than just putzing around. But to dedicate your heart and your soul to forward motion because there is a better gospel that calls you to a better kingdom and a better future. But you need to, you need to pick that pace back up from a walk to a run. You did it before. You can do it again. Remember the gospel. And I'm saying that to you with a clear conscience. And I'm desiring to act honorably in my actions. Praying is a true spiritual exercise that engages our mind, and it engages our heart, and it engages our soul. Prayer. When when I was in high school, I was a believer in high school, and, I, and somebody once told me, they said, and this is a tiny bit of a rabbit trail about <laughs> prayer, but he said, you know, you can't continuously pray for somebody that you hate. And I remember thinking, hmm, I wonder if that's true. And I thought of this kid that I hated. <laughs> he, uh, for not legitimate reasons, but I was a high schooler and this kid bugged the crap out of me, you know? It just, I didn't like the way he carried himself and I always felt like he was kind of butting in on everybody's life and conversations and, you know, sinfully, it really kind of was eating my lunch. I just didn't like this guy. Um, but I did believe that he was a believer. We didn't hang out. Didn't want to hang out. Um, and I started praying for him. His name was Ryan. Um, and I, was, I still remember his last name. And um, my heart started turning towards him. That I, 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 I started caring about him. Like, we didn't become great friends. We didn't start going to the movies and hanging out and like going to all the games together. But like, I legitimately started caring for him. That when we pray in the name of the gospel, there's something spiritual that happens. It's not just something... Uh, flippantly that happens but when we pray there's something spiritual that happens that we bring God into the mix and God acts through our prayers and he acts as a, a true spiritual magnetism that can draw us closer together with people and I don't know if you've ever had the experience of praying for somebody by name that you've never met before and you, and you begin being concerned about that person my brother and sister-in-law, uh, my sister and brother-in-law, 
um, live in South Africa and they're missionaries. And they've been uh, kind of fostering a, a boy over there. Um, and he's HIV positive. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows where the dad is, but the mom is has moved out of the country for work something. I, you know, it's like, how does that happen? What happened? Um, and his name's Lucky. Um, and as Lauren and I have prayed for Holly and Andrew, um, the times that we've prayed for Lucky, like, I start caring about that kid. <laughs> Never met him, you know? But there's something spiritual because prayer is a spiritual activity that draws you closer together. And when you pray for your leaders, I mean, think about this. And I apply this to my own life because this is, this is how you heed. That's what we're talking about. All right, heed, number one, submit and listen to your leaders. Number two, pray. The author here is saying pray for us. We are sure that our conscience is clear and we are designed to act honorably. Pray for us. Pray for us. You know, if, 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 if each of us prayed for Buster, which should go without saying, but I have a hard time doing it too, and I, and I work with him, <laughs> you know? And, and if we pray to the Lord, help Buster in his walk with, with you. Convict him of sin when he's sinned. Father, encourage him in the ways in his life that he's excelling. Father, help him as a, as a husband to his wife, Sarah, that he would be a godly man. And help him as a father as he sees to lead his adult children who have moved out of, out of state. And God, please help him as he spends time in prayer and develops the text and does his research this week as, as he's called to do and spend hours doing it, that he will present the word to us. Please help him in that. Those are things that, that draw us in a spiritual way closer together to say things like, He's a leader that I should listen to. Now, I'm not saying this in a cultish sort of way, but I believe this is what the Scripture is saying, that leadership in the church is not flippant. The church membership is not flippant. That praying for those that are in leadership over us is an actual spiritual activity that benefits us, that builds us, that draws us to a place of of, of stronger assurance of what we're about as being believers. And there's a call to pray. And the question is, are we praying for those in leadership? And I think those in leadership can be the elders. And, there are, and when Buster leads this prayer, this prayer time over here, um, oftentimes he'll include uh, uh, names of the elders. And we'll pray for the different pastors that are over different ministries with the different activities that are coming up. Saying, pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. I want us to skip the benediction. When you look back in your text there, verses 20 and 21 is the benediction. And look at that section. My Bible is entitled, The Final Greeting. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written... To you briefly. I appeal to you, brothers, he bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So again, the author, as he's wrapping it up here, he's not restating his argument, he's not restating the warnings, but he is saying, Heed my words. I appeal to you, brothers, 
bear with my word of exhortation. I'm calling you out, but in a godly way. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Flip to Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 9. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 9. says this. <clears throat> it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare, I declare all your rules, all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all of the riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And Psalm 119 kind of keeps going with this tone. And this tone, if you're hearing it in this text, is I will listen to your word. I will listen to your precepts. I will listen to your statutes. I will follow your ways. I will follow your commandments. And as the author of Hebrews wraps up, <clears throat> he is saying, listen to my word. Bear with me. Listen to the things that I have spoken to you through the written word of this letter. And there's a great call in Scripture for all of us that claim Christ as our Savior to look at the written word of the Bible for wisdom and direction and guidance in our walk with Christ. That God has said, I have spoken. I have spoken. And I've spoken here in my word to you. So you need to be in it. You need to be reading it. You need to bear with my exhortation and take my word seriously. There is an end to my spoken word. And one day I will speak again, but it will be after Jesus Christ returns. And all believers are taken up into heaven. And we will have a different type of relationship. But for now, this is my word to you. Totally. From front to back, this is my word. And the author is saying, listen to this letter. Listen to my words. Listen to what I have written. And God has worked through in a providential, spiritual way, the author of Hebrews to speak in a very direct way to all of us that call Christ as our Savior. That we are supposed to listen to this and to be in the Word. So how do we heed? How do we heed? One, we need to listen and submit to the leadership that God has established in the local church. And part of that is involved in church membership. How do we heed? We need to pray for those that are in leadership and pray for others that are a part of the body of Christ because it is a spiritual, a truly spiritual activity. And third, how do we heed? We need to be in the written word of God. You know, I've said this before, but um, it seems like, and I've been there before, there are times in life where we just kind of long and want God to speak to us more clearly. 
What should I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of the situation. I don't know how to get into the situation that I want to be in. I don't know how to handle the stress. I don't know how to handle this disappointment. I don't know how to handle this anger. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. The thing is, is that the Lord has spoken. He has spoken. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this is the easiest book in the world to read. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, hey, you know what? All your problems, just point and shoot. You know, that's not how it works. You know? But what we do need to do is recognize that God has spoken here and that he speaks through the church and that this church, East Cooper Baptist Church, has made it a priority as the leadership ordained by God that says we put a high value that we believe that the best way for us to do church is that we put a high priority and value on the gathering together of the believers in corporate worship and in Sunday morning education so that we can go through books of the Bible and wrestle with this stuff and figure out and learn what it has to say through the teaching of the Bible, through service, that you will learn and you will grow in your walk with Christ by serving, and that you will be in community. We're a big church, and it's hard to be a part of community if we're not part of little uh, groups of community here, which is one reason why we have the young adult class, and is the main reason why we have community groups. And that's not just... You know, it's not just a group of ideas that somebody at the church has been like, we should do this. This is what we as the authority at East Cooper believe is the best way to accomplish what God has ordained and designed the church to do. And so we're calling you to be a part of these things for the good of his kingdom and for the good of your soul. That we take it seriously and there's joy in that. And then the author gives a benediction. All right, so let's go back and look at the benediction. In verse, verse 20, it says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good, everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his, heart, in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Benediction. Benediction is traditionally the final statement that you hear in a service. And it is a statement that says, go in the strength of the gospel and do what you just heard. That is the root of what a benediction is. And so we end services with the benediction. A benediction is not <clears throat> go out and do what we told you to do. A benediction is go out and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ as the fuel of your fire. Let that enable you. Let that strengthen you. Let that do its work through you so that you can do the things that we've called you to do through scripture. So it's not a just go and do, but go and do with the power of the gospel. So with that understanding of a benediction, read what this says. It says, now... I read a book on benedictions, and one, one, this one author, it was written to pastors, and one of the things that it says for the pastor to raise his hands, and I've seen this before, you know, and it's kind of a sign of blessing. And when we ordain people at East Cooper, we bring other ordained people forward to put their hand on people, and it's ceremonial, um, but we see that as an act showing that we want to, through God, 
and through his work, bless this person as we now ordain him or send him as a missionary to go and do the work or ordain him to be an elder or a pastor here. So it talked about as the pastor lifting their hands, and I've seen people do that. <coughs> now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. You hear all that? I mean, that's meaty. I mean, you could have a book written on each one of those things. The God of peace, you know? Peace in your personal life. Peace in your mind. Peace in your soul. Peace in your family. Peace with your enemies. Peace with your friends. Peace in the workplace about a bunch of pagans who don't believe the same thing that you do. May the God who is able to give you peace that the world doesn't have to offer. May the God who gives you a peace that passes understanding even when your world is legitimately crashing and you've legitimately had hardships and you've legitimately had tragedies in your life. May that God of peace be with you. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who has conquered death, the God who will bring you who are now joined together with Christ and will raise you again to new life, the God of resurrection, the God of eternal life. May this God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Psalm 23 is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture that talk about Jesus as the shepherd of our soul who brings us beside still waters in green pastures so that we can let our guard down at the feet of Jesus and just be fed and just be nourished and just be brought back from difficult, dry, weary places. May that shepherd be with you by the blood of the eternal covenant. By the blood of the eternal covenant because it is better. It is forever. May all of those things do what? Verse 21. 21. May all of those things equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Isn't that cool? May all of these, the God of peace and the shepherd of your soul and, the, and, and Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, conquer, may those things equip you to do everything good so that you may do His will. So that you may heed, listen, and do. By the power of the gospel alone. Because you can't do it alone. You know? You can't just say, hey, stop sinning. You can't do it alone. By the power of the gospel alone. Equip you to do his will. Comma. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We see this contradiction that we can do his will, yet at the same time he is working in us to do what is pleasing in his sight. And this is that tension of sanctification. What is it that is God working in my life? And what is it where I am partnering with God? This isn't one of those things where you say, God, take my life, and I'm going to trust you to put one leg in front of the other. And if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to make it so blindingly obvious that I have to do it. But there's a tension in sanctification that we as believers need to look and read the Word of God and listen to leaders that are in front of us and say, what is God calling me to do? And then we need to do it. And as we do it, then the Holy Spirit also works in us in a supernatural way to accomplish kingdom work that has eternal value. Isn't that cool? Verse 21, equip you with everything good so that you may do his will, comma, but working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. How? Through Jesus Christ. 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because he is the beginning of the statement and he is the end of the statement. May the God of peace through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. And we just get to participate. And we get to get the benefit when he gets the glory. So he is ending with a listen to my words. Do heed what I have called you to do. Listen. Take it seriously. And how do you do that? Listen to your leadership. Be plugged in at deep, intimate levels in your local church. Because that's how God works. That's what he established. This wasn't just a good idea that he thought might work for some people. I work for my church, he says. Pray for your leaders. Let God spiritually magnetize you together so that we can follow and listen. Compare it with scripture and say, I'm on board with what's going on here. Be a part of the written word. Make sure that's in your life and that it's consistent. Take it seriously because it is the written word of God. And then he says, go in the power of the gospel and do what I've called you to do. That's the benediction. Isn't that a sweet ending? Let me read it one more time and then I'll close the scripture. The benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I thank you for your written word. Father, I thank you for the body of Christ. Father, I thank you that you have not designed us to be lone rangers. Father, you have not designed us to just to just blindly feel through life and figure it out on our own. But, Father, you have enlightened us. You have turned on the lights for us. And that when we go to the places where you say you speak, we can see. And, Father, we can learn and we can grow. And you will be glorified. And, Father, you will work in more and more ways in our own lives. Please help us to take that seriously. Please help us to heed because it's a whole lot more difficult than we think so often. Father, we thank you for your word and and what, what Jesus Christ has done for us through the gospel. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, we've still got a few minutes, so stick around. If you don't know somebody in here, shake some hands, greet some people, and uh, welcome to the class.